When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am here with a brand new guest. I want to welcome to the equation Lee Meadows. How you doing, Lee? Hello, mate. I'm very well. How are you? Uh, not 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 overjoyed. Not overjoyed. Um, Lee and I just spent a few hours at Hanlon's in New York um, watching the Arsenal Wolves game. I think maybe because we'd had one or two beers, literally one or two beers. Only one or two. Only one or two, and that's 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 not uh, that's that's not a joke. We thought we thought we didn't think it was that bad. I mean, like we, we didn't think it was twenty three shots against doing and ten shots on target, right? No, I mean watching the game, you thought we was kind of in control through phases, um, other than it being probably pretty flat, I'd say. It was a, it was a pretty dull it was a pretty dull game at the Emirates. Um, before we get into it, um, do you just want to establish your credentials with, uh, with with the Arsenal opinion fan base? Tell us a little bit about your history of being an Arsenal fan. Um, well, I've been a Gunner since I was probably three years old. Used to go Highbury all the time. Junior Gunner, Cannon Club member, onto Travel Club member. Um, Dad's had season tickets for years. All from there, a lot of away games. Been all over the country and up and down Europe as well with it so yeah I've been to a fair few I've got uh, I've got, I've got some credentials on me with it no cannon on your face though no cannon tattoo no cannon no cannon but I'm thinking about getting maybe elsewhere <laughs> yeah 
maybe uh, maybe when we have the revitalization of Arsenal under under Jose Mourinho. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we've got three areas that we're going to cover today. If you're listening in, um, we're going to talk about the game, um, which wasn't. Um, which wasn't one of Emery's finest. Uh, we're going to talk about the narrative inside the club this week because I have to say in the history of Arsenal, this has probably been one of the most baffling, terrible weeks um, that an Arsenal manager has gone through. A lot of inconsistency, a lot of ups and downs. And then we're going to talk about what's going on outside the club because there's a Portuguese in the stands, um, knocking on Don Raul's door, begging to be let back in the game. Um, I'm horrified. I don't think you're as horrified as I am. Um, but regardless, let's get into the podcast. So, Arsenal versus Wolves. Uh, the big story before the game. There were there were a number of stories, and I don't think we need to get into the details right now, but Meza Ozil, after being told he was not part of Emery's plans, has now, now forced his way back in. He put a very funny picture of himself up on Twitter looking overjoyed in meme-like fashion. So he returned to the starting lineup. No Jacker, um, which was fantastic, and a slightly different starting eleven. So let's um let's let's get into the basics before we talk about the game. How did you feel about seeing Mezzet back in the side? And more importantly, Jackalus. I'll go with uh, the Jackalus first of all because I've said for probably two years now our intensity when he plays He's just non-existent. Okay, he might get on a ball with a bit of space and ping a few 20, 30-yard balls, which nine times out of ten as well go off the pitch. <laughs> I mean, with him out in the side, we have intensity. Well, I thought we was going to have some today. Probably lacked it a lot. But I was more than happy with him not in the side. Getting on to him, though, just quickly. I know you're going to go over it, Pete, but the abuse on him is not good. But come on, man up a bit about it. You're the captain of Arsenal Football Club, right? Is it not your job to ignore the uh, the in brackets haters? Hundred percent. I bet you get loads of abuse online. I get a lot of abuse online. So why not just ignore it? Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't often. Uh, we'll talk about this in the next session. I, like, but the the realities of being uh, elite, uh, you know, at the top of your game in elite level sport is you are not the same as me. You're earning you're earning ninety grand a week. Uh, if like if we put it in the perspective, or you're right, if you're if you're in with a customer and you you tell the customer to fuck off, you're not going to get a job again. If I walk into a meeting with a client and they tell me that my ideas are shit, and I tell them to fuck off, I don't get a job, and I probably don't get a job at another club. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So um, so we had no, we, we didn't have Jacker. We we elected for um, uh, Torreira, Guendozi, and Özil, which on the face of it. You, you kind of like, well, this this looks like it, you know, it feels like kind of a balanced midfield. Um, but it didn't quite play out in the way that we thought, did it? Because, well, you know, one of our big conversation points through the game was, is Torreira playing as number 10? <laughs> well, massively. I mean, at one stage, we were saying, is that Ozil as a DM and Torreira as the 10? I mean, we just couldn't understand who was further forward. And I've got to say, for five to 10 minutes in a game, Ozil was the deeper player. Um, and the the situation was so confusing on the pitch because the way that, uh, well, I don't know whether the, the little infographic that I got of the setup, but the setup looked like it was um, Ceballos on the left and Meza Ozil on the right with, um, you know, like a traditional sort of Emery Petit, uh, sorry, uh, Petit Vieira uh, lineup. 
But then as the game started, Mesut Ozil kind of played where he wanted. Um, but it, it did look like Mesut was dropping deep to play um, in line with Guendouzi and Torreira was the most advanced defender. Now, I know that, that you do some coaching of like lads' teams, not, not children's teams. So you've coached men before. Could you just give me an overview? Um, like, Just give me an insight into a coach's mind. Why would you... like? What's the rationale? For Torreira in that more advanced position, when you've got Meza Özil on the pitch, can you can you rationalise that? I'll be totally honest with you. I haven't got a clue because if I was a manager on the sideline and I've got my Meza Özil in the side and he's dropping deeper than Torreira, a natural a natural DM, I'd be going ballistic, absolutely ballistic. And you need to get out there and say, you don't do that, you do this. And if you don't do it, then you're coming off. End of. I can't, but I'm really, really struggling because Torreira is not great in tight spaces. He's not creative. He doesn't really have a, you know, a burst of pace. And like at at the, if I was really trying to do Emery a favour, maybe I would say, does he think that having Torreira in the more advanced position that he can shut down play? on his own from a forward position. But it feels like a bit of a reach. I, I kind of, I can see where you carry from like that, but he just get past the red. When there's only one player doing it, it's, it's one little triangle when you're at. Yeah, no, there's there's no pressing philosophy at Arsenal. Zero right? press. If, you, if, if you're going to do that way, then, then you really need to play higher at the pitch and you need to go as a pair. If you go as a pair, then you've got half a chance. If you only go as a one and they, they there's a trigger and he goes... Um, if another player doesn't go with him, he will just get passed around and then he's totally out of the game and ineffective. And more to the point, if um, if you sacrifice, uh, I don't know, a bit of creativity um, by having Meza playing in the deeper position, then you're asking Meza to be alert to, um, to players in front of the box. And we had a few times today. A few times that happened. I mean, we was in there and we said, look, who's the one running back? I think they had a shot in the, I think it was the first half. And we said... Who's that running back with him? And it, it was Ozil. And he's like, he's not the player to be doing that. But like, he gets a lot of grief for his work rate and stuff, but you can see he was working there. But he's not the player that we want doing that. If you're going to have a player doing it, it's going to be Torreira out of the two of them. I think that's plain and simple for most Arsenal fans. Yeah, and it's amazing that it's taken us basically 10 years to find a defensive midfielder who actually wants to play there. I he mean, wants to defend. Who have we been through? Danielson, Alex Song, um... I, 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 I can't even think of them. I mean, with, like with Granite Xhaka. Yeah. Um, and finally, we, we get a player that we're all relatively excited about and then he's played in a more advanced position. I think and part of me thought that maybe Mesut Ozil was dropping into that deeper role because we've had such problems playing out the back that he was just taking it, you know, taking it on his own shoulders, like, I'm going to work the ball at the pitch. But there was a moment, I don't know, whether, I think it was in the first half, where Mesut Ozil was saying to, uh, I think he was passed it to Guendouzi, and he was like, pass it forward. Why are you so adverse? You know, because we're averse to passing it forward. We don't move, the, the ball does not um, fizz between the lines anymore. No, exactly. And that was something that we was very, very good at. We was getting, getting the ball in between the lines and moving the ball quickly. Us moving the ball over the last, I don't know, say 20 games, for instance, is just so slow. It's mundane. It's boring. It's, it's Slow football is boring football. If you, if you, and if you want to win the Premier League or, or even attempt to win the Premier League, you need to get the ball down, play quickly, move quickly. 
it's, it's, it's very simple. And I think um, the other interesting thing, if there was defense of Emery, and Emery's, Emery has def, um, people defending him, or used to have people defending him much in the same way that um, maybe everybody's been defending Mourinho and OGS at United. You know, you just need one player to unlock this. You need one player to unlock this. And I think the final line of defense for Emery was, you just need some fullbacks. You just need some, you, you need two good fullbacks and then that will unlock this system. I love Tierney. We, we we both had a lot of good things to say about Tierney today. Like he's he's an he's an Arsenal player, like traditional. Like he's a hard worker. Like he's he's got a good connection with the fans. But uh, having a fast having a good fullback that can deliver hasn't really changed things, right? No, it hasn't changed things at all. I mean, I, I think if you're having one fast fullback, but then you kind of need another one the other side to go up the other wing. So so they're back and forth. If you know what I mean, one's going, one's staying, one's going, one's staying. What, what's your opinion on Chambers? What did you think of Chambers? To me, he does a decent job as a fullback, but he's not a fullback. He's a centre half, I think. If if anything, and if he ain't a centre half, then you could possibly play him as a DM. Possibly, I'm not sure he's quick enough. But with Bellerin on the side, I'd have him straight in. He's played in the last Europa game, didn't he? Played in the last Europa played game. Played against yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. The other night. So I mean, look every look every part of the captain though, didn't massively. they? Massively. I mean, I think they're being very. They must be very very wary with his injury and stuff. And I kind of get that, but you know, chuck him in, give him a rest for the next week. But he's worth playing. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So the for the for the third time in in a, in a single week, um, we've thrown away a lead. Yes. And I, I, like the first fifteen minutes. I don't think we. I, I think the walls had the better of us. It looked like that they they sussed us out. They were stretching us, left and right. But um, we we took the lead through uh, like a, a lovely bit of interplay between Chambers and Luis, uh, and then uh, like a very unselfish piece of play from Lacazette and a, and a beautiful finish by Aubameyang. Um, but we we gave it away once again. We let Wolves back into the game. I mean, let them back in. I mean, we were only in it for a, for a short amount of time, if we're fair, right? Uh, 100%. I mean, this is a reoccurring thing, though. It, it happens time and time again. And like you just said, three times in a week, we've, we, we, we've had a lead. And two of them times, it was a two-goal lead as well. And we've thrown it away each time. And even today, you, you, you look at his subs when we're, when, when we're winning. And I see some guy said to me, or, or there was a text, and he, come up, he, he said, we're winning... And we bring Torreira off for a, for a, for a winger, and we're only winning one nil. Surely, like maybe be a little bit steady or something like that. Then we're drawing, and you bring on a defender instead of Pepe. It don't really make sense. It doesn't add up. Do you think I say these sirens going off in the background there? There's the sirens attending to uh, to poor old Uno Emery. Um, I think you made I think you made a great point there with the substitutes. Um, we've gone like he, Emery completely turned it on its head this week. Normally he makes defensive subs and then loses the leads. This week um, he made very attacking subs, um, bringing on Martinelli and Saka. Like first of all, I've got to say, um, if you're if you're struggling and you're you know with a squad and you're worried what people think about you, I think taking senior players off on on sixty minutes for eighteen year olds, it's not a good way to like you know win friends and influence people. Um, but I could kind of go along with that, and then um, and then. Bringing on Saka, like I love Saka, but like when you're chasing the game, you've really got to win those three points. Bringing on Kalasanak, and he's desperate to bring him on, isn't he? Because he loves Kalasanak. 
She's like, Jesus Christ, what are you, what are you, what are you up to? What are you up to? A player that doesn't even look up to deliver a ball. Well, he can't deliver a ball. And he's a bad defender. He can't He can't deliver a ball. I mean, I said to you earlier when we were talking about, even if uh, Tierney had a little injury, we're chasing the game. We need three points. Go for it at the back. Push Tierney high up. And if you get the ball, deliver the ball. That's all you've got to do. And then if, if you're looking at, I mean, I'm just going through statistics because I, I didn't really feel it during the game. But Arsenal had 10 shots and four, four, four hit the target. Um, Wolves had 25 shots and hit the target eight times. So Wolves, uh, a counter-attacking side, and albeit a good counter-attacking side, don't get me wrong, 25 attempts at our goal, eight on target, so they had double the amount of shots and That is incredible. Isn't that incredible? And again, Wolves, a counter-attacking side, uh, completed 312 passes to our 464. And uh, yeah, Wolves had 100... Uh, 100 passes in in the attack in third to our 129. I mean, like, it, it really it really is appalling. There's no way of looking at it, you know? Um, so we've dropped another point. I know that you were doing some numbers, um, like you were just totting up some of the last results to try and get a full picture of it. Like, what's a, what's your assessment of Emery, basically in 20, 2019? How you, you know, what, um, what do you think? I mean, you look at Emery, I, I just... Just got in and we quickly went through it. I said, I, I wonder our, um, our wins, draws and losses in the last 20 games. So I just worked it quickly and it was 21 games. We've won eight of them, drew seven and lost six. One of them was a huge final as well, which, let's be honest, we were absolutely abysmal in. Abysmal. You've been to a lot of the cup finals. Have you ever seen a cup final as bad as that? Um, apart from Man United. Apart from Man United, I mean... No, never. I mean, they just, first half, okay, we were sort of in the game, but second half, it was just like they just either, I don't know what he said to him at halftime. It was, it must have been, look, Dan Tools, don't worry about it, lads. Come on, we're going a jolly up after. Because that's, what, that's exactly what it looked like. That cup final, I was told on good, good, good authority that the Arsenal players were very upset that they had to be in Azerbaijan a day earlier than they hoped for. So a lot of uh, noise around the Arsenal training camp before the Europa League final was that the players were just pissed about being uh, being in Azerbaijan in the first place. That show you like what a lack of control Emery's got. That's a lack of control from Emery, and I've got to say, as a player, well, that's disgusting. That is disgusting. That's right? disgusting. If you, as a young boy, all you want to do growing up playing football is playing cup finals. That's all you want to do. You want to play for your country. You want to play for your team you support, and you want to play and win cup finals. That's yeah. what you want to do. So for them to, I don't know how true that is, Pete, but a professional player saying they was they was pissed that they was in another country a day early, which they probably flew first class to. Yeah, well, never yeah. mind the poor supporters. They weren't on EasyJet. You know, the poor supporters. I, I know pals who went out there, like they ended up doing about two and a half grand on one game. That was only there a day. Two and a half. Two grand. and a half thousand pounds. Staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, back to the back to the game today. Um, so we've got um, some inside thoughts on Unai Emery. He says tactically, it worked how we wanted. So what was that? Then? <laughs> I have no idea. What what is uh, what is going on why, there? Why, why don't why don't these people who, who do the interviews go? Well, what was that then? What exactly was that? Because plan? no, you tell me a fan who knows exactly what was what was going on. I, we couldn't work it out. The commentators on TV couldn't work it out. 
Um, it, it's a staggering thing to come back with. Lee, what do you, what do you think? Um, what do you think is going on with the players in the squad at the moment? Because I I look at some of the facial expressions, and maybe I maybe I read negative. Uh, like maybe I have a negative assessment of their faces, but you look at Lacazette when he's coming off. You look at um, almost expressionless Aubameyang, a guy that's like a very electric character in the squad. And you just look at them. What do you What do you think? Um, how do you think Emery's approach to management and tactics and the lack of communication? How do you think that's impacting morale in the squad at the moment? I just think he's he's I think he's lost the dressing room. And as soon as one player says it, and if he's a is another another one and there's a popular one in it in the changing room, he's gone. There's 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 no time. Players he might he might make the right decision tactically or something like that, but if his players ain't prepared to to do it on the pitch, where are we gonna go? You ain't gonna go nowhere. You you need them players behind you like like you're a whole, you're you're one, you're all together. What whatever the manager sort of sees as a vision, the players have got to see it as a vision, and, and they've got to buy into it. If if just one player doesn't buy into it, and he's a bit of a character in the dressing room, you're in trouble. You've got to be fearing David Luiz, right? He's taken down bigger managers. <sighs> he's taken down bigger and better managers, than far them, better managers than Emery. So I think I think he's lost the dressing room. I mean, you see their faces. Lacazette's face when he come off, he's like, what on earth are you doing? Yeah. What on earth are you doing? So, I think the dressing room's gone, and I think he's in big trouble. I think he's in big trouble, and, uh, you know, you spent more time at the stadium than I have um, this season. Um, you saw the red seats today. I'd like to just, just give us some of your thoughts on, uh, on what you think about the empty seats in the stadium. Well, I'm, I'm quite baffled by it, really, because most... Supporters who have been up and down the country love Saturday afternoon, 3pm kickoff. I mean, there's nothing better than that. So few of them these days, right? Well, like, we don't get them. No. We just don't get them. And I went to the Palace game last week and the ground was more full against Palace than it was today at a 3 o'clock game. And that's 4.30 on a Sunday. 4.30 on a, um, at, well, and today's game, 3pm on a Saturday. 3pm. And just for context of international uh, viewers, like... You can't watch the 3 p.m. games unless you try and get them on a feed, and that's always a fucking disaster. Yeah, fans are playing what on average 1,200 pounds for a ticket. I know the weather. I know the weather wasn't great, but come on, like this is Britain. Listen, weather means nothing. A football fan will go anywhere in the world to watch his team. So going an hour, maybe tops travel to to go and see Arsenal as as local supporters. That ground should be full, should be buzzing. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's. It's almost like you know, there was a lot of complaints about uh, toxicity amongst the fan base over over the last couple of weeks because of like the the, the jeerings that um, the, the Jack has faced. But for me, the toxicity is on the pitch. Like it's a toxic thing to watch, and uh, like fans react to things that they see on the pitch. And you've got to be you got you, like you got to be you got to be either a great attacking team that gets fans off their seats, or you've got to be a great defensive team. So Arsene Wenger was a uh, you know in his peak, not towards the end. He he brought beautiful football. You know, like he, he had sort of twenty fifteen football, like, you know, even that wasn't too bad. I know we lost the league to Leicester. But you go there and you might see a, a like an Arsenal versus Norwich and you might see that Jack Wilshire goal. You go away and you'd be like that was that was worth my ticket today. I fucking enjoyed that. Or you had the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's Diego Simeone. And everybody's seen that video online 
with Simeone's players running back like their lives depend on it to, to defend um, conceding a goal. And we don't have the attack in football. There's, and there's no sign with a lot of incredible players that we're going to be anywhere near an exciting attacking team. But then you have the, the bland conservatism of Unai Emery, but you don't have the clean sheets. Right? It's just bizarre. So you're in this like you're in this kind of awful footballing purgatory, where it's like I, I, I'm 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 not getting anything here. I'm just getting shit. And as a fan, do you want to turn up in a ground where everybody around you is united in misery? Because I, I like, and it, it took a long while for Arsene Wenger to empty stadiums. And what was Emery's job coming to Arsenal? Unite the fan base, uh, create some sort of vision because Arsene Wenger certainly didn't have one towards the end, um, and build something glorious for the future with a lot, lot of young players. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out what Edu and Raul, like Raul what are they seeing? What, what keeps Emery in the job right now? <coughs> I, I really don't see what keeps him in the job right now. I mean, you look at Edu and Raul, I mean, they must be thinking, look, let's pull the trigger on this guy soon. Yeah. Very, very soon, because... I'd, I'd, I'd lay money on it and a few people have said it as well uh, we will not make top four with Emery in charge I'm telling you that now by the end of today I think we could be six points off of it this early in the season six, six points. points off of top four six considering points. the state of this season and you look at our last two home games right Crystal Palace okay they're doing decent and Wolves you look at that at the start of the season you go six points bang I'll have that as a banker what we got two, but then and, then and then add in the context, Lee. Add in the context of uh, you know we're pretty lucky against uh, Villa and Burnley. We were shit against um, Newcastle. Um, Spurs at their lowest ebb, absolute disaster. Like before the game, you've got Pochettino defending whether he would stay at Spurs, and then United being run by run by PE teacher. Yeah, and we and we couldn't beat them. So we're very poor Yeah, we're in our easy phase. You wait until like what, what, in in, uh, in December. I think we've got City, Chelsea, United, right. United on New Year's Day. I think. Yeah, there's also Bournemouth away Boxing Day. Yeah, Bournemouth turn over United today. You know, <laughs> you know it might be easy. I don't think it will be easy. So we're not even in the, like we're in the phase where we should just be picking up points. And I, you know, I was speaking uh, speaking to someone just after the game. Somebody doesn't really like Arsene Wenger, and they called him. They said. Arsene Wenger used to win games at the Wolves. It would be easy, right? Those, yeah. are, the, those are the games that he would he would always pick up points in. And today, like, we've been dominated. Like 23 attempts at our goal from Wolves. Absolutely disgraceful. Um, okay, well, that's, um, that's the first part of the podcast. Um, in part two, we're going to talk about some of the noise in and around the club. So join us for that. Welcome back to part two of the Arsenal Opinion. And just as a reminder, I'm here with first-time guest, Lee Meadows. Uh, all I need to say is uh, a way they fan, just to understand his credibility in the room right now. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about um, some of the things that have been going on inside the club this week. Because in my opinion, I would say that there's been an, an unbelievable lack of leadership at Arsenal um, this season. I was kind of hoping uh, someone like Edu would come in somebody that understands the media situation, somebody that's got a, an idea of what it is to be an Arsenal player and an invincible side. Um, but it looks like Edu is uh, 
is a little bit lost as to what to do. He's made some bad decisions. Emery, we know, is an absolute car crash of a manager. And things just keep on getting worse for him, Lee, right? They certainly do, mate. It took, it took Arsene Wenger 20-odd years to get to this level of, oh my God, what's going on? So let's just talk about, there are, there are, there are four, four areas that I want to discuss today. Meza Ozil, uh, the Jack of Debacle, um, Miguel Delaney's story about the kids taking the piss out of him in the press, which is hilarious. And um, maybe we can talk about, the, you know, just the performance metrics. But Meza Ozil, okay, so just before the, the game last week against Palace, everybody was in uproar because Arsenal have not been very creative this season. Um, we played Joe Willock in the number 10 position against Sheffield United. He created precisely zero chances. Arsenal fans know um, what's going on with Meza Ozil. Um, but Unai Emery doesn't like him, rightly or wrongly. I mean, to be fair to... Um, Emery, Meza Ozil, has taken more sick days than the sickest person in your office. Um, he doesn't show up to a to away games up north. He's been found to be a, a, a Fortnite champion. He's building computer games in his spare time, but he's a great player. So um, I think it was, uh, which, which game was it that Meza Ozil got dropped for and he put up the picture, um, said you made me laugh? It was, it, it was the Palace yeah, game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it? it was the Palace game. So Meza Ozil has taken on uh, like a Gandhi-like um, persona. Uh, he believes in peaceful protests and it's it's it, it, it's so peaceful and vicious at the same time. It's it's the most beautiful juxta- juxtaposition. So um, Meza Ozil is uh, he's training hard, apparently. Well, you know, not according to Emery, but he's basically playing the media game. He's 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 being made a martyr of by Unai Emery. Um, so Unai Emery's response to Meza Ozil causing him problems in the press this week was to do um, the unthinkable, play him away in a tough game up north against Liverpool, a game which I'm sure Emery expected to lose. Um, tell us what you thought about the performance, because we watched that game together. I mean, he's he's basically tried to throw Ozil under a bus there and gone like, look, see... I told you, he just can't do it. It turned out Ozil, for me, had a very creative goal, uh, game. Sorry, I think he created was well was in in the play for three of the goals. If I if I'm right, yeah, three of the goals. Um, and that game, we've scored five goals away from home against a Liverpool reserve side, and then still come out and lost. I know. That is the bottom line. We lost that game. No matter that the 90 minutes was a draw, okay, we went out of penalties. It's a loss. We're not in the next round of the cup. No. And the main point of that is we've conceded five goals. Five goals. And this man's supposed to be a defensive, uh, change our defensive player. Supposed to be a pragmatist. I mean, you watch us defending and uh, our centre-halves are always so square on the ball. Our fullbacks don't know whether to go to come back. They haven't got a clue. And then our midfield is just well. People even today, I know we're talking about liberals. They just walk through us, straight through us. Yeah, trial. I mean, like I, I felt that Tierney had a like a fairly solid game, but um, just watching Wolves just walk through us, just well, go right, like break through the lines through sheer uh, you know force of will. I am. I. I. I am. I want us to have Tierney. Bellerin and Holgin in the side. But I want them to have a structure of how to defend because 
it doesn't look like they're taught how to defend. I know it sounds silly for like young players coming through academies and they've played at this level and that level, but they just don't look like they know how to defend as a unit or, or like your centre half, your, your left back's your mate. So like you pull him in and he pulls you out or wherever you want to go. The other centre half's your mate. So then there's partnerships all over the pitch and we don't seem to have any partnerships. And then there's your two centre halves. You've got someone in front of you, or maybe two players in front of you. So you've got a partnership with them. So you kind of have two part, two free partnerships all around the back defensive line to shuffle this way, shuffle that way, and that could be. I mean, you watch Tony Adams and the old way how we used to defend. It was incredible. That was art. Literally, tie- that was art. George Graham literally used to tie them together with a piece of rope. So why not do it? If <laughs> I know. If that's what we have to do. Do it. Yeah, our um, our off the ball movement is. It's got to be amongst the worst in the league. You got Manchester City practicing the science of cognitive football, where they understand the shapes and the movements around them. Like Manchester City made the least tackles in the league last year and won the league. Wow! Like the least tackles in the league. So it's um like we're moving into an era where um where it's movement off the ball is is you know your key weapon in being a defensive unit. We can't even create a structure where there's at least one midfielder in front of the defence to protect what's going on. I totally agree with you, mate. The shape is just non-existent. It's like we can see one go and it's like, oh, well, that ain't worked. We'll just do do whatever. We'll do whatever on the pitch. And then you need your manager to go, boys, what are you doing? Get your shape. Do what we've been practising in training. If they do do any of that in training, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't mind if we was played expansive and... The football was incredible and we're like scoring eight goals every game, but we're not. No. So back to Ozil. Ozil created, um, created chances almost immediately. Um, and he looked like he was up for it. He was dictating play, basically, in the first half. Um, the the assist for Maiden-Niles. Wow. I just thought, I, I mean, we sat there just clapping and the intelligence of the guy to do that, I just think he's... Uh, was great, absolutely great. And it, it just shows you what a good footballing brain he has. Yeah. And it, sh- it also shows you, you know, here's the thing about um, elite leadership. And it doesn't matter whether it's in business, it doesn't matter whether you're running a country or whether you're running a sports club. Sometimes, yeah, you have to sacrifice a bit of yourself to get the most out of the people that you work with. I mean, like, I, I'm reading a Lincoln book at the moment and the humiliations that he had to take to... Uh, make sure that his cabinet was you know, operating at the highest level to win a civil war. Um, you read a Carlo Ancelotti book and, you know, the sacrifices he had to make as a manager at Real Madrid or any of the teams that he was at to make sure that everybody in his, his team was happy. You know, the managers have to take a little bit of humiliation and have to um, swallow their pride a little bit um, to, to get the most out of players. Mesut Ozil is a difficult character, but he's also um, a one in a million talent. He always has been. Um, Mourinho used to play him until 60 minutes to get the maximum out of him uh, Real Madrid. Emery has had a bad experience at PSG with Neymar. He, he came out like there's um, there's a, a quote that I love where he's like after his PSG experience, he said, in my opinion, um, Pep Guardiola is the boss at City, but at PSG, that's Neymar. Oh my fucking God. Like Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's not leadership. Leadership is saying, what do I need to do to get the maximum out of Mesut Ozil? Do you know what is probably a bad approach? Playing him as a deeper midfielder than Torreira and letting Torreira play as a number 10. 
So, like, I feel like Emery tried to make a point with Ozil against Liverpool, and it backfired spectacularly because Meza was brilliant. And then today, he, he tried to make it even harder for him because he played Torreira in a more advanced position. But Meza still tried to make it happen. Like he floated, like he started out on the right, then he floated into the middle, then he'd be on the left. Like he really tried to dictate play today. But if you don't have a structure, if Meza doesn't have a structure around him, it's not going to work. Of course not. Of course not. And you're, you're going on about getting the best out of players, I think, with that as well. And as a football manager, you don't care what people think of, of you, you just want to win. That's all, that's all it comes down to. And if it means, you know, biting your tongue and having nose all in the side, and, but we're a lot better for it, then you've got to do it. And if you, if, if, my dad was a non-league manager for years, right? Absolute years. I mean, he had so many characters in his side that were unbelievable characters in non-league football that players today, that they just wouldn't even last five minutes. Maybe the Parlers and Adams, they would, they'd be great with them. But he used to get phone calls at like 12 o'clock at night and from blokes and saying, oh, I'm in the pub, what should I do? But he said, well, do what you think's best. But they could go to him about that and they respected him so much on a Saturday that they would literally run through walls for him. We're talking elite level of football here. We've paid a manager a hell of a lot of money a year. Six million quid a year. Do what you've got to do. If you need to be their best friend, be their best friend. If they need a bit of a stern word, give them the stern word. If you need to like invite them around for dinner and let them, you know, do whatever you want to do, even with your old woman, let them do it. <laughs> I mean, it's about winning. Football's about winning. And unfortunately, I don't think Emery does enough to... Um, to get the best out of his best players, and one of them is Mazet I, I, I completely agree with you that he uh, he is he's a meek man. So, uh, uh, well, let let me let me talk about this a little bit because I got a, a huge amount of criticism because I, I, I you know I, I, I speak about the notion of source as a, as a manager or a human being. My belief is that there is this um, this X factor or special source. That the elite ma- that the elite managers have that means that there is ultimate respect because you respect the person. Mourinho has source. He sits in a meeting room. I oh, sit not in a meeting room. He sits in the Sky Sports studio with like Sunes, Neville, and Roy Keane, and everyone panders to him. Doesn't have to say a fucking thing. Doesn't have to. There's no aggression in there. Just controls the room with his force of personality. I did not like Arsene Wenger. But no, that's unfair. I was not a fan of Arsene Wenger in the last 10 years, but I tell you, look, I, I went to AGMs and Arsene Wenger was there. The guy has this weird um, like aura around him. Like It's this, this energy, but you're like, Jesus, wow, he's got this power over a whole entire room. And then you look at Unai Emery, who has um, good evening Tourette's. Did you hear it in the interview the other day where he was just talking about a left back and he said, good evening? <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Like, he has no source. Like, uh, like am I... Is is that an unfair suggestion to say that uh, a lack of sores uh, and that lack of like just respect for who you are as a human can impact the? Uh, it's a leading question. Of course, of course it is. It's like it's, you, you need to, to be a top level manager. You need something about you. All the top top managers have got something. There, there's something you call it sauce, but there's something special about them. Uh, Roy King done a. Um, he was on TV the other week. I think it, I, th- I think it was TV or whatever they'd done with Neville, and he said. Um, the best thing about Ferguson, he said the right thing at the right time. When you needed to hear it, he said it. And that's elite management. 
and I'm sure Wenger done that in his early days with Vieira and the likes of them. And sometimes Wenger didn't say anything, right? Uh, sometimes you don't yeah. need to say nothing. It's a look. You yeah. give a look. It's like your mum when you've done something right naughty or whatever, and you've got so much respect for her, and, uh, and she just looks at you, and you're like, oh, you really let you down there, like you know what I mean? Yeah. That that is the level of manager that Arsenal Football Club need. And I don't think that Emery has been that uh, any of his clubs. I don't think he's got that. I mean, he, he never had that at PSG. Or, or maybe Emery had it at Sevilla, but I think Monchi made a lot of the decisions. But ultimately, um, when you're a, when you're the the manager of a bunch of players that are on year long deals, and you're at a club where you're where the way that you sell it is, you say this is a platform to your next move, which might be Roma, it might be PSG, it might be Arsenal. If you don't go to war for me, you're, you're you're dropping down to the second division in Spain. You don't have a fucking future. So it's a bit of a different thing. Like when like when you're um, a manager, I, 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 sorry, I'm, I'm mumbling here. When um when I wrote about Emery um, coming to Arsenal, I said that there are two ways that this is going to go. Emery either thinks that Arsenal is like PSG, um, in, in which case we know he's going to fail because he won't be able to manage that sort of dressing room, or he thinks we're more like Sevilla. And he thinks that he can dominate um, through personality and that people will want to work for him because, um, you know, it, there's a better career in it for him. But we're not. Arsenal are more like PSG and his personality. He doesn't have a personality. Well, he's, right? to, me, to me, he's, um, you look at it and we are exactly what our manager is. And that, unfortunately, is Europa League. And that's exactly where we're at. And you watch us, we're Europa League. We ain't no elite side at the minute. No. Nowhere near. Completely agree with him. <laughs> and that is our level, unfortunately. It's horrible to say. And I mean, I'd, I'd argue with anyone that we're the best club in the world and we could beat anybody. But you know that we're going to get turned over, probably. Yeah. Deep down. And we've got a Europa League manager and we are a Europa League side. And so, that's it in a minute. So, overall, Mesut Ozil, is he winning? Mesut Ozil is literally trouncing Emery. He is Emery's on the ropes like a boxer in probably about the eighth round and Edu is his corner man and he's just about to throw in the towel. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. You, we could, um, you know, we, we were only watching it on TV today because we were watching it in um, um, in America but you could hear the support in the stadium for Mesut, right? Didn't Massively. That, didn't it that happened last Sunday against Palace when I was over there and uh, his name rang out for about five minutes. And loudly. And this is a player that every single Arsenal fan has a full understanding of. We know what he's like. Yeah. But the, the fact that we're crying out his name tells you all you need to know. Okay, so next uh, next topic of the what's gone on inside the club this week. Granite Jacker. Oh, my God. Now, this is a, this is a tasty uh, topic that me and you have had many chats about. So, Granite Jacker um, gets subbed against... Sheffield United on 70 minutes. Your captain being subbed off 70 minutes against a team that's been newly promoted is pretty humiliating. But the humiliation went one step further when Emery took him off on 64 minutes against Crystal Palace. Jacker slow walked off. The fans started to jeer. Jacker reacts and then tells the fans to fuck off twice before storming down the tunnel and throwing his shirt on the floor. Emery comes out and I tell you what, I will defend Emery. Emery came down and said, Basically, these guys pay your fucking wages and you have to respect them, which is a good response. 
I don't think he delivered it with um, the nuance that maybe an Arsene Wenger or a Jose Mourinho would have, but he definitely delivered the right message. And that, straight up, that's him saying you need to apologise to the fans. And I don't think the fans need an apology, but when the manager that's put you in that position in the first place says, apologise, you've got to apologise. So he doesn't apologise for three days later. Then he comes back with a statement uh, talking about social media, talking about how he's upset. Basically, it was an apology, but not really an apology. Lee, you've got lots of opinions. You're bursting at the seams here. Tell me, uh, tell me what you thought of, like, firstly, tell me what you thought of the situation. Because a lot of fans, uh, a lot of people were saying it was, he was giving it some back to the fans, and that's okay. Tell me what you think. They, when he got subbed, he wasn't booed immediately there or cheered there. It was an ironic, really, like that. That was it. And to be fair, he was poor. He wasn't the worst player on the pitch that day. He wasn't. You were at the ground as I well. Was at the ground. You were at the ground. The thing that the fans had to up with, that we are now, we've thrown away a two-goal lead. We need a goal to win the game. He's the captain of Arsenal Football Club and he's strolling around like he's performed like a Lionel Messi. That is unacceptable. Just run off the pitch. Take your, take your beans and run off the pitch. End of. But no, he thought he was bigger than that. He thought, I'm Granite Xhaka. I'll, I'll swan off like a right chap. Well, he ain't a chap. He's very much not a chap. He had a poor game and he strolled off. And the fans were basically saying, I've got to defend the fans here. Get a move on and get off the bloody pitch. Then swearing at them, and people have seen this. They're seeing it like they're up there. They're like, what are you talking to? Like, you're our captain. And then throwing your shirt on the ground? Come on. Don't tell me you're bigger than Arsenal Football Club. Jesus Christ. And storming down a tunnel. I mean, it's just like a... It, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a sport little kid. That's what it's like. It's gone, oh, sorry, sorry, I, I won't do it then. A sport little kid. I'll tell you what it's like, Pete. It's like my wife when I won't buy her a present. She stones off. <laughs> and just for context, his wife is actually my sister. <laughs> but that's not uh, that's not far off the truth, I can tell you. I can tell you. So, um, Granite Jacker is, goes quiet for two days. Um, I, I, I've just got to talk about the, the mental health um, thing that Arsenal, Arsenal released. There was a story that Sammy Mockbell ran. And, uh, ran. Uh, that, that Samuel Mockbell ran. And it basically said that Arsenal were offering counselling and it alluded to there being mental health issues that under that underpinned the outrageous reaction. And I, I wrote that when Granite Jacker's apology came out, I basically said that, I, you know, I, did, I didn't buy into it. I think that if, you know, if, you're, uh, if you've got a problem with social media, the simplest thing is to delete it. And Arsenal fans from around the world rounded on me like I didn't understand anything about mental health Firstly, no one understands, uh, you know, what goes on in my background or your background or anybody's background on that subject. So, you know, like, let, let, let's hold our horses that, you know, that, that I don't have empathy for people that have mental health challenges. My problem comes, uh, and it's the same with Meza Ozil last year. Um, you can't play, like, the, the people play the mental health card these days. Um, you have hurt feelings and it's, oh, there could be mental illness there. So that's not critique that. Um but what I thought was really amusing was um, Arsenal said that they offered him counselling and they linked that to the press. And apparently Granite Jacko is furious that Arsenal tried to make out there was a mental health issue there because actually he just wanted to know everybody that he was really pissed at being cheered. So I find it I find that incredible because at the same you know, same thing happened with Meza Ozil last year. He goes off the boil and everyone said he's got depression. 
So what? Because that shuts down an argument or or, or, or a debate. Like mental illness doesn't want you telling everybody that he's got mental health issues if, if he doesn't have, and it degrades people that actually have real mental health issues. Massively. So let's um let, let's let's just get into the apology because I know that um, I know that you had a lot of thoughts on um, some of the contents of that apology, and you have um, a young daughter, so you'll certainly understand. Um, people saying nasty things um, online, or, or at least empathise with Jacker about hearing bad things online. What did, what did you think about some of the things that were said? Right, some of the, some of the things that are said in there about his daughter and his wife are, are terrible, absolutely disgusting, really, and, and that should never happen. Especially if you support the team, right? But let's be honest, right? Who who's actually saying these things? It's probably like a little sixteen-year-old. Thinks he's like a, a little keyboard warrior, as they call him, right? I hear all these lot on computers all say that all the time, a keyboard warrior. That's exactly what we call them. Right, and uh, he's, he probably lives at home with his mum, you know? Yeah. Uh, literally 15 years old. Literally 15 uh, years old. Lives with his mum, you know? Ain't got a bird. Probably tugs himself off over Granite Jacker's photos. No doubt about <laughs> it. And he's like abusing him. Granite, come on, mate. Just... If, if they say that to you, just delete your Twitter or whatever. I'm sure there's so many people that have had, when you're in the like celebrity lime, limelight, get so much abuse. Just turn it off. Don't even interact with it and, and stuff. And people will say, well, why should he and everything? Listen, this geezer's earning like 90-odd thousand pound a week. If someone was giving me 90 thousand pound a week but was abusing me, I'd say, yeah, all right, mate. Like, Look what I've got and look what you've got because you're probably at home living with your mum. Again, pulling and yourself I, Yeah, and I'm not living at home with my mum. Exactly. Granite Checkers, like, it's terrible what they said about him and everything, but like that apology to me is like, it's just, that's yeah. all it is. Lee, I've been, uh, I've been getting abused on the internet for the best part of 13 years. Uh, as I wrote the other day, uh, you know, even, even last year, I went, I said Emery was a terrible signing. The people on my website rounded against me. People would tweet me all sorts of nasty things. Someone called me a dog pervert. Do you know what? Do you know what the worst one was? That's the best one. <laughs> Some, someone called me a melon fucker. <laughs> a melon fucker. Can you imagine waking up? But have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have thought about it long and hard, my friend. I've thought just, about it long and hard. Just getting back to Jacker quickly. Um, him coming out and saying, um, "No, I haven't got a mental health problem." Where he's absolutely brilliant, by the way, from him because that's saying. Shut up. I've just got the right up and back. That was probably the best part of the apology. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, the, but the, the, the broader context of the whole thing for me is Emery doesn't have any control. Right? Zero. It, like, like the, the, there were two things that happened after that event. The first one was um, Jack is storming off. He should have come out immediately. If Jack had come out and said, look, I've got a newborn baby. I'm fucking tired. I'm exhausted. And it all got a little bit too much for me. I apologise. I didn't mean any offence. And I'm going to donate uh, a week's worth of salary to grassroots football or something. Because kids shouldn't see that. That was embarrassing. Everyone would have gone, nice one. Nice one, Granite. Even if he didn't mean it. Just just, just come out and, and, and be honest about the situation. But he's come out and he's made an excuse. And he's talked about kids having cancer and all these fucking terrible things that aren't important in the grand scheme of things. Um, but the, the bigger picture for me is... No one ever did that under Arsene Wenger. I, I, I don't know whether you were at the Wigan game where the Bue was subbed on and then subbed off. Yeah, he got completely abused, but he never like a Bue, uh, never uh, ne- never abused the fans back. 
And I, I don't think anyone really would under um, Arsene Wenger. So there shows a lack of control there. And the second one was, I, I know it's so fucking stupid to talk about this. Um, Lacazette like the post from troops from Instagram TV. It's so fucking childish. But ultimately, it's... Um, it's, it, it does say something about the situation that Lacazette is out there liking a post. It says something about the manager. So it says you've got a complete lack of control, which leads nicely into the segue of uh, Miguel Delaney. That he, you know, questionable about how fucking reliable he is because you know he he wrote a few stories when we were replacing uh, Emery that were well off the mark. Uh, no, replacing Wenger that were well off the mark. So sometimes they just sometimes journalists just write stories to add add to the uh, you know the fucking hoo ha that's going on around the manager, but he he basically wrote that Arsenal's <coughs> Arsenal's young players are aggressively taking the piss out of Emery behind his back. Uh, like he didn't say he said it, it, he, he, in, a, in a in his strongest point in his piece he said that it goes well beyond good evening. <laughs> but you know you know what? Uh, come on then, don't tell us that there's a great joke out there or, or you know a great impression of it, but. Um, but the, the point here is that you've got the players having a little mini revolt against the manager. The fans are. You've got the kids who are new into professional football, apparently taking the piss out of the manager. Like the, the whole of this week just revolves around one thing. Emery has no fucking control. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you've, if you've got young players, I mean, they should be doing everything they can to make sure that you see him and that you, you like him as a manager so that he's prepared to put you in the side. I mean, I don't know how true that actually is if they are. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I, I don't, don't really like know. it. If that's the truth, it's like at the heart of it, you should be respecting him. a little bit manager. of a lack of respect for, it's obviously lack of respect for Emery, which if he's clueless on a training field and well, he seems clueless on a match day, I can kind of understand, but you should have more respect for the football club. And we're paying your wages. Yes. So. And, you know, broader point for me is um, there was a lot of crazy shit that went on uh, Arsenal's training ground last season. In particular, um, things like the guy who runs the travel doing motivational speeches. Uh, that same guy having fights in the in the tunnel. You know what I mean? Like lots of crazy stuff happening. There's a lot of bad people in and around um, the training ground, and you know, you know people reported into me um, that things weren't quite right at the training ground. But I hope Edu would come in and fix some of these things. If Edu is boxing himself in his office and he's not paying attention to what's really going on, because I, I think Emery is almost on the spectrum. I don't think he really understands or feels what goes on, you know, like just the little nuances that go on in and around a training yeah. ground, how they link to the fans' feelings. I don't, I don't think he's quite there. But if there is disrespect going on for Emery at the level of junior players, that's a real fucking problem. Um, because, we, you know, we know it's going on everywhere else. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't like Emery, but I also don't like the fact that things are so out of control that even the technical director can't get on top of it. And the bigger thing, and I spoke to you about this earlier, is, you know, I, I know that the journalists at Arsenal don't like Emery. He's not an entertaining press conference. You have to, be, you know, you imagine, like, recording him and then having to decipher what the fuck he just said for the last hour. It's a nightmare. So the the, the press don't like him. So you've got the press now gunning for him. You know, full-throttled attack um, at, at Emery's jugular. So I, and I don't see how long this can last, which leads me on to 
the final section. And I feel that me and you are going to have a big disagreement here. As I've had a big disagreement with our, our fans, like the context here, when I wrote about Arsenal signing Unai Emery, I said basically, in um, if you look at Man United, Man United signed uh, an average uh, manager without um, top-level um, credentials, and that was David Moyes. Um, I think he had, I think he won manager of the league once with Everton. Um, when you hire an average manager, the fans will call for a winner the second time around. So Manchester United's first. Uh, dalliance with a winner was uh, Louis van Gaal. Louis van Gaal predictably tanked because he was past it. And then the fans really said, you need to hire the best winner in the world. So they went out and they hired Jose Mourinho. Arsenal hired Unai Emery. Uh, some say he's the Spanish Bruce Rioch. Others say that he is the Spanish David Moyes. I think he's closer <laughs> to David Moyes. Loves putting out a wide and whipping a ball into the box. Now we're in a very similar situation because Edu does not have a plan. Edu does not have a vision of what Arsenal should be. And when you do not have a plan or a vision, who do you call for top four? Jose Mourinho. So Jose Mourinho is being linked to Arsenal. On paper, he makes sense. He took a Manchester United team to second. He's got swagger. He's got persona. He'd come in and he'd immediately reinvigorate Meza Ozil. Um, he would say all the right things and Arsenal fans would be excited. But underneath... The persona is an arsonist with a box of matches and the jerry can of petrol. Make no mistake, Mourinho is going to bring us down. But Lee, <laughs> you don't agree. No, I think he'd be absolutely perfect for us. Oh, no, it hurts. Right now. Oh, it right hurts. now, I think he would be perfect for us. Um, Mourinho is, um, I mean, he's got spice. He's got sauce and spice. Sauce, spice. He's got the lot. Like, you know, he's a serial, serial winner. Uh, I, I I look at him and I look at the way Arsenal play as well. And I, I think defensively we are just atrocious, atrocious. And like the structure of us. I believe that Mourinho could come in and within six weeks we would know exactly how we're going to play. It'd be fucking so bad. Wouldn't it? Would, it, would it be as boring as it is now? No, but it, like, here's the thing, and here's where you are, right? You would know within six weeks exactly how we're going to play because Mourinho would come in and he'd say, okay, we are going to be pragmatic, and then he would deliver on what pragmatic is. Tighten the defence, create a, a, a structure built from the bottom up, and he would unleash the talents of the front three. Right, so you you would like he's he's got the, the that squad of players. I, you know, truly believe that he could work well with them. He worked well with David Luiz. Um, so I, 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 I get you. On paper, he completely makes sense. And at the moment, we are in a situation where you'd have to say anyone, anyone but Emery. Right? Yeah, is, is that I, where we are? I'd go, I, I'd go with that. I mean, my point on Mourinho is uh, I just think he's a top-class manager. I mean, I, I, watching him on Sky and stuff on some of the um, like afterwards, he, he talks just total sense. When you look at him, he, he just talks sense. He looks a lot fresher at the minute, and I think he's got a big point to prove. And he, more than anything, he feels he's got a point to prove. So one of my um, Portuguese, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's Portuguese, he's, he supports uh, Benfica. Um, like We chat on Twitter, and I said that Mourinho comes with a big backroom team. And that's the, that's the big problem. And apparently Mourinho doesn't have a backroom team at the moment. So okay. uh, Rui Ferreira is, you know, he, he's gone somewhere else to pursue actually being a manager. So the, the only saving grace that I could have with Mourinho is 
like as a figurehead, he's a nasty figurehead and he causes lots of problems, but he's a winning figurehead. If um, if he goes and looks around Europe and says, who's the best assistant manager in Europe at the moment? Who's Who's got the most innovative ideas when it comes to the game? Because at the moment, Mourinho's got 2010 ideas and you need 2019 ideas to survive in the Premier League, right? You need to be better than Pep Guardiola yeah. and Jurgen Klopp. And I don't think Mourinho's there. But that doesn't mean to say that he can't evolve to that. Like Alex Ferguson, uh, you know, had Steve McLaren. Um, who was the Portuguese guy? Um, you know the guy. Yeah, I the Madrid. Tool guy, yeah. Um, then he had, you know, he had feeling. Mourinho would always, re- uh, sorry, Ferguson would always refresh his backroom team so that, like, as a figurehead, like, he knows how to run a club, but the people below him know how to modernise and bring a fresh approach. So if Mourinho, um, like, uh, to PSG, uh, they, they brought in Thomas Dickel, who's one of the best minds in European football, in my opinion. And then they went and hired somebody, um, his name's Zolt, and he's a Hungarian guy. They hired him from uh, the Leipzig uh, crowd. He's one of, one of the most respected coaches at Leipzig. I think he was the most expensive um, assistant coach in world football. I kind of paid 1.5 or 2 million for him. But so they, they, they took a brilliant mind and they aligned him with somebody that understood how to like get the most out of a, a modern squad. If they did that to Mourinho, I'd be excited, but I just worry that, that we'll just let Mourinho do what he wants. I feel like we're in bed with these super agents now and we're just going down the path of United. What do you think? Maybe. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's a 50-50 call, isn't it, really? I, I, I mean, the thing with Mourinho as well, I, I do think, like, we, we, we spoke about once Wenger gone and you wanted to unite the fans again. I do think if you do have Mourinho in there, I, I think the fans will be split on him again. Well, like you and I, um, I've got a pal as well, who's a big gooner, season ticket holder. I mean, he's tried to literally hammer me for wanting Mourinho in there. Like, you know, so I do get his points and, and the grief he's given us before, but... Football nowadays is, I, I think, manager-wise, you ain't never going to see a 20-year manager again. You ain't never going to see that. You don't want to either. You don't want to, right? No. We was talking earlier. You said about Jurgen Klopp, about Dortmund. He'd been there five years. The players didn't want to hear his voice no more. He didn't want to hear their voices no more. Yeah. They're changing. So if Mourinho was to come in for three to five years, that gives us a, a nice length of time. If everything goes nicely, let's really get the one that we want. Really get the one that we want. And if he comes up early, let's let's get Mourinho out again. But I don't think if you went for Mourinho, and I know it sounds a bit a bit um, over the top, but if you got Mourinho in there and he's winning your games, and whether you're winning games one nil or, or, or five nil, if you're winning games, you're happy. And you're completely right there, right? Yeah. You are absolutely right, and I think that that's the uh, the that's the thing I'm wrestling with in my head. One question, right? To every Arsenal fan, you go out there today, all right, we play boring under Mourinho, we win 1-0. We play with Emery, who we play boring with, and we lose, and we don't lose, we draw 1-1. What do you want? Yeah, but it, it, if there is a clear defined vision of who we're going to be and the fans align behind it, it's like, if, if, if it's Mourinho, look, it's going to be fucking boring football, um, but we're going to grind out wins and these players are going to die on the pitch for you. I, I, mean, I, I You know, you get behind it. But that was George Graham to a certain degree, well, right? Yeah, and you say Mourinho's boring, but when he was at Chelsea, they scored a hell of a lot of goals. They did in the first iteration, right? When it was uh, Damien Duff, Arjun Robin, and Didier Drogba as a front three, right? Yeah. That was exciting. Who was that? Who was the fucking... Who was the other player? The, um, was he from Norwich? 
Oh, it was, no, it wasn't Duff, was it? It was, it was Damien Duff. Damien, Damien Duff, he was come from Blackburn. Oh, came from Blackburn, yeah. Yeah, Damien Duff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then you're talking about a front three of Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. With um, Saka, Gabriel, um, yeah. sitting behind, and you know, Smith-Rowe sitting behind. The, the, that's, and this is the best thing. Uh, when Wenger left, it was a complete fucking mess. You can't argue with that squad. I mean, it's, it's a, exciting. It's a, like there was there were parts of the Liverpool game last last week. Well, I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is there's some really beautiful football going on here. I just wish, um, I just wish that we take our you know a bit of a Chelsea approach because the thing with Mourinho is Mourinho, even if he gets to the Champions League, he has no chance of winning the Champions League for us. I would just prefer to have a coach that could move us forward into the modern era and play a different type of football. I know that I always go on about Arteta. The, thing, the reason that I liked Arteta is City play a game of football that allows them to use... Uh, like their defensive weapon is off-the-ball movement. They don't make tackles. Yeah, They're just that good off the ball. I would like a little bit of that at Arsenal. I don't feel that we're going to get that with Mourinho. My bigger thing with Mourinho is the Daily Mail wrote in the week that uh, Arsenal were going to trust him with a war chest. There's no money at Arsenal. We blew it. There is no money at Arsenal. And even if there was money at Arsenal, it's not. it's not... 380 million like he had at United. Look what he did to the United squad. A fucking abomination. Yeah, I mean, it's, the signings have been, uh, you know, who cares about United anyway? Like, yeah, fuck them. But you know, I, I think we're all united around the idea of get fucking Emery out right now. I think so. And I think whoever whoever we get next, I mean, whoever it be, like, every fan, no matter if you like him or don't like him to start off with, or you think you should have him or you should have him, Get behind him. Get behind the club and get behind the players and, and let's just go for it. Make Emirates. Make Emirates. Uh, try and make Emirates a fortress. And, and uh, just a quick shout out because um, on Twitter there's a, a, a little group, um, the Block 26 lot there, and I think they're Ashburton Army. Ashburton Army, yeah. And that's it. And I'll say fair play to them, lads. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the drum... It's here and there, but I like it. It gives us a little bit. Uh, it gives us a little bit about us, like you know. And it was the first time last week. I thought I sat in the clock in, and I thought, yeah, there's some songs going here, and and they make up songs as well. Making up songs, good for them. I mean, bloody brilliant on them. And boys, keep doing it. Keep making the songs. Don't listen to any negativity towards you because I think it's great. And football on a Saturday, and why I love Arsenal was always about. Getting down a pub, having a few pints with your mates, having a beer, going to watch the Arsenal. That's the best of life going. Completely agree. And especially on the negativity. So average age of a Premier League season ticket holder is 43 years old. Those boys are what? Like fucking 18, 19? Cool. Lo- I, I, I love the energy. I love that they're, they're creating a little movement. And I love, I, I love that they're bringing a bit of energy to the fucking stadium. Yeah, like, 100%. The, and away game goes as well. And away game goes. Superb. All right, Lee. Well... Thank you very much for joining. That was a, that was an excellent hour and four minutes. Wow. Um, so we're definitely going to get you back on. Thought you were, thought you were great fun. Um, if you're listening to the podcast for the first time um, and you agree like I do, that, that was a five-star performance from Lee. Let's give us a five-star rating on Spotify, on iTunes or whatever. Don't leave a negative comment. Don't be that person who leaves a, a one-star rating. I don't need that in my life. Don't be that, Emery. Don't be an Emery. Don't be an Emery. Right. On that note, have a good one and tune in next week for more. Thank you.
If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.